Okay, um, so just a couple of things to kind of let you know. A few weeks ago, we did a, our sort of an offering for Outward Focus Christmas, and through that, um, we were able to serve over 500 people in our local community. So a couple of different ways that we did that. And uh, it was great that a number of you were here on Thursday night when we packed these bags. In these bags, there was a candle, uh, a, piece of, a bar of chocolate, and a calendar. And um, it was to really carry uh, kind of a three-pronged message um, of joy, peace, and hope. So these 300 bags were either handed out by you um, or in fact, they were all handed out by you in, in some way or another, but some of you took them and handed them out in your own communities, in your own neighbourhoods. There was a group went and handed them out around Park Road and, and uh, up towards Garvaki Road here as well. So 300 of those handed out, which is amazing. So thank you. You know that lots of the kids came Thursday night and had a great time. Uh, it's brilliant that we can carry these messages of hope into our communities and also leave people with a little gift and something to think about and reflect about. So... We had that. We were able to also, through uh, local kids clubs in this area, in Brownstown and Garvaki Road, we were able to host a, um, a kids Christmas party on Friday night. So 45 kids had a, a great time in uh, Peter Pan's. They had something to eat. They had amazing presents from, from Santa um, and great fun. So it was great to be able to bless them. And uh, then on Friday, and actually on Friday morning, we had Connect Cafe. And then after that, we had a lunch together. And we had over 40 people in here having a full kind of Christmas lunch. So it was great to be able to thank our um, volunteers who work in Connect Cafe every week, but also for the, for the people that come in, for them to have a, a Christmas dinner together it was amazing. Um, and so between all of those things, people coming in the Connect Cafe and, and, and what we did out in the community where we're able to bless um, around about 500 people, which is absolutely amazing. So give yourselves a big round of applause. So what we want to do now is just to turn our hearts and minds towards the Christmas story. And so in this afternoon at half past four, we're going to do kind of slightly more formal version where we're going to read through all, all the kind of scriptural readings and do the carols. What we wanted to do this morning was uh, I've got five different people who are going to come up and they're going to talk to you from the perspective of um, one of the characters in the Nativity story. And, and when you start to read through the Nativity story, you realize that if you were going to make this stuff up, you wouldn't make it up the way it appears in this, in this story. The, the range of characters, where they come from, why they're there, um, we're, we're almost too familiar with it. it. It doesn't, you know, we don't actually really think, well, you know, why were there shepherds out up in the field? And, you know, why did angels appear to them? And so the story starts with, um, not with Mary and Joseph, but with Zachariah and Elizabeth. It starts with the parents of John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for Jesus as an adult. It starts with somebody who is in the Holy of Holies, um, ministering unto the Lord, and an angel appears and says to, to Zachariah, you and your wife are going, going to have a child. He's going to be really important. Uh, Zachariah doesn't quite believe that, so he doesn't get to speak for um, nine months. Um, so I'm sure his wife is happy. But um, Elizabeth, who's beyond childbearing age, bears a child. Uh, and so, you know, those characters, why, why are they there? Why, why is God bringing those characters into the story. You know that Mary is from this really obscure little village called Nazareth. 
and her, and her husband Joseph. And so Mary maybe would have been 15, 16 years old. People, people estimate. And so these two then are, are brought into the story and, and they have to travel from Bethlehem to, or sorry, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of a census that's happening at the time. And probably as they were doing that, already on their journey, we have these, uh, we call them wise men or magi or whatever. Um, and what's really interesting about them is we maybe would have thought, well, those, those are those kind of weird cultish people that do that kind of really weird stuff. And they look up to the stars and they try and figure out uh, the future or, or whatever it is. But they're, they're people who are searching and they see something, they recognize a star and they follow it, and they get in, involved in, in the Christmas story. And then, like, the heavens are filled with angels who only appear all that amazing glory to just a couple of random shepherds. Like, why, why, would, why would God do that? What is the significance of that? And they're all brought together around... It was probably a cave, not a stable. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, and in fact, you can go to Bethlehem even to this day. And on the outskirts of Bethlehem, you can find caves where people kept animals. Uh, and in those stables, the animals would have been kept in with the people. The people would have slept up, probably up at a higher level. Um, so provided a couple of things. Heat from the animals, probably smell as well. But hey, at least it's warm. Um, uh, and protection for the animals too. And so Mary and Joseph find there's no room where everybody else is sleeping and they're right in there with the animals. And this is how Jesus comes into the world. This is how God chooses to reveal himself to the world. This is the story that we tell. It's not glamorous. It's not really cool. It's out there in the outskirts. It has random people involved. And you know, from that time until this time, God has always chosen the random, obscure, weird, different people. The people that we might not have always thought would be the right people. And he's brought them into the story. And so what I'd love for you to do is just over the next number of minutes, just listen to some reflections. Might be in the first person, might be in the third person or second. I can't figure out which, what's the difference. But um, a couple of minutes each. Uh, of people in our congregation who have asked to go in and think about what it would be like to be that person or to be that character in the story. What would your thoughts or reflections be? So um, first of all, we have Joyce Sykes, who's going to come up and do Elizabeth for us. Well, Elizabeth as you know, was um, well on in years. And her heart's desire was for her own child. So I'm going to start the story where married to Zachariah, who is a priest, honored. And it was his time to go to the temple and to worship God. And as she says goodbye, expecting to see him in a week's time, Zachariah returned, totally dumb. And as I thought about Elizabeth welcoming her husband back home, the fear of the Lord would strike me. How the living word had done this 
to my husband. And as he shared what had happened in the temple and that angelic visitation, how God had met him there and demonstrated his awesome power, the worship of the Lord would have been mighty in their home because these were God-fearing people. And before the blessing of that new birth could arrive, I believe they had to know the fear of the Lord and his goodness and his mercy. Zachariah hadn't believed the angel, but I believe Elizabeth in her heart had always kept that prayer for that child to be born. And as the years went by and her body started to grow old past childbearing age, I wonder, did hope cling and never bring her to that place of disappointment? And she fell pregnant. And God in his mercy removed her. And she went to a place of seclusion for five months and as I thought about that, just looking into the gaze of God and allowing him to replenish her body and to fill her with strength and all that she needed to nurture and nourish this baby in the womb, this special child who she knew was God's gift to her. And as her belly swelled, with that newborn baby, I feel all shame would have just melted away like wax in the presence of God. That all those years have been barren and the shame that that would have brought this woman just flew away and she knew who she was and who her child was called to be in the womb. So she returned home full of joy. This baby within her, graced with the goodness of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she nourished this baby in the womb, I think that joy would have just been palpable between them. And she came home in her sixth month. And as I wondered about Mary making her way to her home. And what would that be like as these two women, Elizabeth's youngest cousin, was coming to give her the news. And I thought about heaven and how it would be looking on in absolute wonder as these women were coming together and these newborn babies, these unborn babies in the womb were meeting for the first time. And the explosion of joy that would have been from heaven to earth. And heaven's roar at the joy of these two, child, two, two children coming, meeting together for such a time as this. And the explosion of joy between Mary 
and Elizabeth and these kindred spirits meeting in one place. And how Elizabeth welcomed Mary into her home for three months. Could you imagine the conversations? Did they sleep at night? Such would have been the joy. Elizabeth training Mary, teaching her, helping her to carry this baby in the womb. And did Mary actually witness the birth of, of John, her son, in preparation for her own birth? And the joy is these, um, this birth came, the family and friends gathering for the circumcision and the naming of this child, John. Husband and wife in agreement. And Elizabeth witnessing the loosening of Zachariah's tongue. And how that joy would have manifested. And the fear of the Lord moving from family to the village people. What an awesome time. And as Elizabeth reflected on her life as John was born, this blessed child, she would have remembered God had remembered her for such a time as this. And he makes everything beautiful in his time. So I've been asked to speak about Mary, and Mary was just an ordinary girl. She was about my age, and she wasn't born of wealth. She didn't have a wealthy family, but she ended up being the one chosen to carry the savior of ultimate value, of ultimate wealth that was so significant. And um, Mary would have been grown up immersed in Jewish teachings, you know, all up hearing about this savior, but while she was hearing about it, you know, especially because this is before Jesus came and, you know, there was that, you know, the curtain was still there between man and God so that all she would be able to base her, her faith and her foundation of Christianity or her religion was off the teachings. And, you know, they were heard and taught so repetitively it almost became lessened in meaning of um, the significance. You know, it's about like the Lord's Prayer, you know, like children go to school and they hear the Lord's Prayer all the time. And, um, but I wonder, have they really stopped and thought about the words that they're saying and um, the significance of it? And that may have been the same of what Mary would have thought because she was so young. And, but then when she had the child and the angel came to her, like that all changed her perspective and how she thought. And it says, in Luke 1, verse 28 says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And just that first meeting with the angel would have just changed everything she would have thought of 
of the teachings. And as um, Gabriel went on, he really didn't mince his, his words, but what he said, he said, you will, you will conceive and give birth to a son. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And just Mary hearing those words and being like, all this time I thought when the Savior came, you know, it was only really about the high, the high, the high priests of the Jews. They were the ones who were going to get all the glory, but Jesus chose her. And in that moment, she realized she was the center of it all, of everything. And she was as involved as anyone else was. And I think it's so beautiful the way she reacts to it and how obedient she was. You know, she, like she said, I am the Lord's servant. Mary, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And listen, I'm just being honest here. Like, if this was me, that would not be my reaction. Like, imagine God being like, you are going to have a baby. You're not married. And it's going to be Jesus. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> right, right then. Like, I just, I'd just be like, listen, Gabriel, lovely to meet you. But, <laughs> like, I think you've got the wrong house, you know. I think you have. Like, there's a lovely family down the road, and they have children, and they know what they're doing. Like, I, like, they're married. They've, they've got it sorted. Like, I can't do this. Like, it's just, like, I'm so young, and I, I, I know so little, but yet Jesus chose her to do it. And Jesus put that over her life, and that was what her calling and her, her thing that she was meant to do, you know. We get a calling in our life, and we're like, oh, are we really supposed to do that? And, you know, but she, she was the one and she took that step. And if she hadn't, it would have been so different now. Just everything, it would have been so different. And like, I was thinking about, you know, her as herself being so young as a teenager and like her friends and how, you know, she may well have, a few days later after um, Gabriel came to her, she may have been sat with her friends and talking about, you know, I wonder what the Savior is going to look like because you know this is all they're teaching what they've always been taught about like what's the Savior going to look like but she just sat there with the Savior in her stomach not saying anything because she had she had all of it in her yet she couldn't say because you know imagine if she said I've got the Savior in my stomach actually <laughs> they would have been like right then okay sure you do but no I just think that it was so beautiful the way God appeared to her and just opened her, her eyes to everything that God had on her life. And, you know, even though she realized that it was so significant what was happening, I don't think she fully comprehended that, you know, he was going to be born in a stable wherever it was. And um, he would grow up and he'd heal. He'd heal people and he'd raise people to life. And then he would himself would be risen and everything would be changed now and that's why we're here in church right now because of Mary and because of the birth of Jesus and yeah just to finish um I'm very glad that Mary was not me because um I don't think I would be as obedient as she was but yeah I just don't understand. How could she do this to me? How could she go behind my back and betray me like this? I thought I could trust her. I imagine we would get married. 
we would have our own children and grow old together. I thought she was the one for me, the one that God had chosen, um, the one that loved God more than anyone I'd ever met. Such a fool. Whose is it? When did this happen? Where did it happen? There's me thinking she was honest. She loved God. I thought she loved me. All those promises and words about wanting to be my wife. All lies. Feel crippled, completely broken and betrayed. They don't really know what to do. I love this girl, but I can't marry her. Not after what she's done. People are either going to think it's mine and I've treated her wrongfully. Or else they'll know that she's been unfaithful to me. But if I tell everyone what she's done, they'll, they'll kill her. They'll stone her. What if, would it work? What if I was divorced her quietly? Call the whole thing off, slip away, run, even? Well, she might not face any harm then. I know that what she deserves is what the law says, but it just doesn't feel right. And I can't be the one to do that to her. I don't want her for the rest of her life to have to live with the public disgrace of one mistake. Well, that's it then. I'll go see her in the morning. Call the wedding off. Get as far away from her as I can. And maybe then she can live a normal life. Hello? Yes, this is Joseph. Who's that? Gabriel. Like, the Gabriel. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm betrothed to Mary. Well, I was, but you see this thing happened, and then you already knew. Right, so you know that I'm going to divorce Mary or... I'm sorry, Gabriel, but maybe you missed the whole part about the unfaithfulness and the cheating and the baby isn't mine. It's whose? God's. Like, his? I'm sorry, but this is just a little bit too much. What do you mean, Mary didn't cheat on me? The, the baby was put there by God. I don't know, Gabriel. I'm not a scientist, but... God put him there through the Holy Spirit. We had him, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God's with us. Whoa, that's a lot. So Mary isn't lying. She, she has been faithful to me. But why me? Why Mary? We're just nobodies. We're from Nazareth. We're no one. I don't know if I'm, if I'm cut out to raise the Son of God as my own. Why have we been chosen? Well, yes, I, I guess I am. I have been faithful and, and loving and honest and, and committed to God and the law. And yes, Mary is gentle and kind and someone who cares for the poor and those around her. And yes, faithful too. Yeah, uh, I, I am sorry that I, I doubted. Was a bit of a surprise though. So I'm to raise him as my own. Like Jesus, I mean. I won't pretend that I understand everything that's going on or even that, that what life is going to look like. I imagine it's going to be a bit complicated. But I'll, I'll be obedient. I'll take Mary to be my wife and I'll raise him as my own. I don't know what the cost is going to be, but if you're asking, I'll do it. Imagine I'm going to need a bit of help, though. 
I know it can't be easy raising someone else's child, never mind God's. But I'll do my best to love him and to raise him as best a father can. I'll teach him how to, to work and maybe even take on the family business if he doesn't have the son of God things to be doing. Okay, I'll go now. Thanks. stack of notes like Chris and Alan do, just to freak you all out. Um, I'm here to defend the shepherds. Um, there's a commonly held view that they were a bit stinky, that they were poor and nomadic and outcasts and nobody really cared for them. Even their visit from the angelic host has been parodied to washing their socks instead of watching their flocks. And then we move on to the average nativity, and it's always the prettiest girl who gets to be Mary, and today we've continued with that theme. <laughs> and then all the boys want to be Joseph. And if you miss that gig, you've still got a shot at a wise man, but I think Keith got that. You're thinking, I'll get a good costume and some camel. And then you see the text from, from Chris, and you realize you've got the shepherd, and you think, really? I can still recall Philip Hunter holding hands with Sarah Jones. While I was standing looking on in a Thundercats dressing gown with my mum's tea towel and my dad's worst tie. <laughs> so the shepherd, you know, Philip went on to Captain Regent House in the school's cup final at Ravenhill. So these things can have a lasting effect. <laughs> so I want to have a little examination of uh, Luke chapter 2 and maybe raise some questions for this well-established social outcast of questionable foot hygiene characterization. Luke tells us that they were in fields nearby. And then he tells us all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had to say. So they weren't out in the wilderness. They were right beside Bethlehem. This idea that they were nomads out in the desert doesn't quite cut it. They were also well known. They were well known to the people because when they brought the people their message, they listened to them and they accepted it. So they were nearby. They were of some social standing and people knew them. As to their foot hygiene, Luke leaves that none the wiser. But there is a theory, and Chris maybe mentioned some of this earlier, that these were not quite shepherds, but maybe they were shepherds and priests, and maybe they were involved in some work for the temple. And they had a flock that was close to town that was very closely watched, an unblemished flock, an unharmed flock. And they were being prepared for something, and that was probably sacrifice in the temple. Probably the Passover, Passover, in fact. So these shepherds and possibly priests would have known that the lambs they kept were in mangers. And before they brought them into the temple, they wrapped them in swaddling clothes. So whenever we go back to Luke and the angel said to them, I've got the Messiah here and I'm announcing it to you people and I have a sign to you. And what was the sign to these shepherds? He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel was announcing to the whole earth that the Messiah has arrived, but he's also announcing the beginning of the end of the sacrificial system. And he's announcing this to the very people that are involved in it. I'm not going to expand on that at too much length, but I think John got that in his gospel, and he said, the lamb of the world who comes to take away the sin of the world. So to come to our theme of letting every heart prepare him room, there's a traditional view that these shepherds were you know, stinky and the least, and God chose himself to reveal to them first. 
And that might be true, and there's a lot in that, but I think there's so much more as well. God revealed himself to these shepherds with a tailor-made message to you, incredibly symbolic. These were the custodians of the sacrifice. And we've already heard about the temple and the Jewish background that Mary would have had. He came to redeem what they did and to redeem what all of us do. So God, I think the message for me to these shepherds is that God has a unique revelation to all of us. Whatever way we think about the world, whatever hobbies we have, whatever roles we have, whether we're a teacher or a carer or a grandparent, the message of the Messiah is that he has come to elevate us to the role we were intended for to be the best possible ideal, what we were created to do. What's our role in that then? Prepare him room. What does that mean? I think it means that we have to make a little bit of space. I think it actually means just don't be too busy. So I would invite you to think about the shepherds and the fact that they had a unique revelation to them, just as there's a unique revelation for us. We just need to make the space. And now the wise man. That's what I wanted. If it was that wise, he would know. Best to last. My name is, uh, actually my name's unimportant. I'm from the east, from the land of Abraham, the father of faiths. I'm known as a magi. I'm sought out for advice by kings and rulers. I have the gift of knowledge and understanding. The world values such things, so I become a wealthy man. I own a great many things. I have sought to understand the things of the earth and the things of the heavens. Who am I? What is my purpose? Where did all, we, all that we see come from? What is our future? How does it all fit together? I and my friends study the heavens. We note the predictability of the heavens how they fix our seasons. We read the writings of the faiths to understand what is going on. We discuss the comings and goings of kings and nations. But I want to tell you about something that happened many years ago. As my friends and I studied the heavens, we noted something unpredictable, a star that should not have been there. It seemed closer to us than other stars and journeyed through the heavens to the west. So strange were its movements, so intense its light, that we decided to follow it. For months we traveled, believing that the star was leading us somewhere. At night we searched the writings to try and explain such a thing. And we read in the writings of the Israelites that a great king was to be born and that he would bring freedom to his people. This is what it said. For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this, that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We wondered if this was such a time. So we sought out this great king to honor him, to bring him gifts. We arrived at the land of the Israelites, and the star strangely faltered. Here we found this great king, 
Have we found this great king, we asked ourselves. We visited a great palace and met with the king of the Jews. We told him we searched for a great king. He was aware of the prophecy, but seemed agitated and fearful. He too was searching for the king and encouraged us to journey on. We cannot explain what happened next. We have never seen such a thing before. But the stars seemed to descend from the heavens in a place called Bethlehem. We set aside all that we knew in our minds. We couldn't understand this, but we felt our hearts strangely warmed as we searched through the town looking for this great king. We inquired from those we met and they talked of rumors that some uneducated shepherds had abandoned their sheep because they had heard the singing of angels about a time of favor for all men. How strange. Our search seemed pointless. How could a great king be present here? We set aside what our minds told us and let our hearts lead us, for we sensed that we were being drawn to something of great meaning. Finally, beyond anything our minds could discern, we arrived at an outbuilding, a place where animals rested. We were met by a working man, a carpenter, and we told him of our journey. He invited us to come and see. Here lay a baby. I stared into the face of this vulnerable newborn, and I was undone. All of my learning seemed as nothing. All of my questioning seemed pointless. In the face of this child, I knew I had found the way and the truth. My head could not explain this, but the eyes of my heart knew, and my understanding was strangely realigned. In the face of a baby, I had found the answer to the who and why of my life. We had brought gifts for when we would meet this great king. They seemed irrelevant. It seemed that the gift instead came to us. In this baby was life, and we had never seen, <clears throat> and this life was the light we were searching for, indeed, the light of the world. Many years have passed now, and I'm an old man. For all the knowledge that I've acquired, I look back to that moment and realize that in the face of this child, that was when I gained true wisdom. The baby's name was Jesus, common enough name for baby boys in Israel. But lately I heard rumors of a prophet called Jesus who was killed by the Roman war machine and stories that he had risen from the dead. I set aside what my mind told me because I felt that strange warming in my heart again. So this is a summary of all that I have discerned and I am a man of great learning. If you search only with your mind, you gain knowledge. But when you search with the eyes of your heart, then you gain wisdom. These are the words of a wise man. Fantastic, everyone. Um, it's really great. You all did fantastically well, by the way. Um, Wonderful. It's so good to hear different perspectives, different stories, how, how things come to different people. And um, you, you know, the story of the nativity is, is almost set up to offend. It's set up for people who are really, truly willing to search, to go beyond the superficial, to go beyond as much as I love a good nativity with the kids. We need to step beyond that to find the truth. But yet Jesus it can be found there and is found there. 
and all those random different people in the nativity story are a bit like the random different people in this room with all of our different stories, with all of our different backgrounds and experiences, and yet we're all drawn to the one place and to the one person of Jesus. Uh, so the band's going to come up. We're going to do one, one last carol together. And I would just encourage you to maybe just think again about the nativity story. Take some time uh, over the next few days to read it right through, all the different versions and perspectives that come through. Think about the characters. You've, you've got some really good perspectives from um, the people that shared this morning. There are a few other characters in there too. Look at how many angelic visits uh, happen as, as the kingdom of God descends on earth, that heaven erupts all over the place. And, and I just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you again, to reveal the truth and the wonder um, of this story. Let's stand and we'll worship together.